Hello, and welcome to Wait, How Do You Spell That? A Rare Disease Podcast. My name is Colby, and I'm the content specialist here at Patientworthy. In this episode, our managing editor, Alana, and community manager, Rebecca, have a conversation with Darlene Shelton. Darlene is the founder of the Danny's Dose Alliance, a nonprofit dedicated to changing emergency medical protocols for chronic illness and rare disease patients. Danny's Dose has worked to help pass legislation in several states to bring awareness and a plan of action for EMS professionals working with patients in the field whose treatment needs may fall outside the usual scope of practice. This interview was the last recorded at the National Institutes of Health Rare Disease Day in February of 2020. We hope you've enjoyed this series of conversations with disease advocates who are working on the front lines to help patients across the U.S. and the world. Since this interview was recorded, Darlene tells us that plans for upcoming legislation have largely been placed on hold as states grapple with the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. Despite this, the work continues, and Danny's Dose hopes to have family emergency preparedness education events in the near future. We hope you enjoy this episode, and if you'd like to share your experiences as a rare disease patient, feel free to reach out to us. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter by searching Patientworthy. And be sure to check out the latest in rare disease news anytime at patientworthy.com. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Alana, and this is Wait, How Do You Spell That? A rare disease podcast by Patient Worthy. And this is Rebecca, and we are very excited. We are currently in the Heart Senate Office building at Rare Disease Week with a very special guest. <laughs> Would you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Darlene Shelton. I'm the president and founder of the Danny's Dose Alliance and also the grandmother to um, Danny Noah and Lillian, Eliana, and Zoe. Um, three of the kids have hemophilia, and one of them's not affected. And tell us, what exactly is Danny's Dose? So Danny's Dose is an organization started by our family with our, the main goal of changing our current emergency treatment protocols across the United States so that individuals with special emergent medical needs can have the proper care um, particular to their condition in an emergency provided by EMS and ER physicians. And can you tell us a little bit about hemophilia? Sure. Um, hemophilia is a clotting disorder. So you have um, 13 factors in your clotting cascade, and if you're missing or deficient in any one of those, then you don't form good clots or they won't stick and stay. And um, hemophilia B happens to be factor 9 in that cascade. So um, that means that, unfortunately, at any time, especially with Danny being very severe, less than 1%, um, he could have a breakthrough bleed and could um, honestly die from a bleed if he didn't have his clotting factor um, timely. But he has prophylactic therapy, so twice a week, and it brings his levels back up to normal. And then, of course, his body breaks that down, brings it back down, we get factor again, up, down, up, down, up, down. And um, the girls are not as severe, so they have um, emergency injections ready at any time that if they got hurt. And can you tell us what the current issue is with emergency medical protocols? Okay. The current emergency protocols are actually outdated. So it's old protocols that prohibit paramedics from administering medications not in the ambulance. 
these protocols were created back when um, medications weren't really available for people, so they were created like for pills in a bottle. And um, we do definitely agree with that, by the way. But medicine has advanced, and regulations haven't advanced with it. Um, back when they were, were created, people weren't living at home, living regular lives, going to school, going to sports and work and play and activities. And it's really just that, I guess in a way, kind of nobody thought about the fact that old regulations uh, prohibit us from actually saving a life until um, we actually had a friend that had a car wreck and broke his right wrist and couldn't give himself his clotting factor and had had hit his head in the automobile accident and had it not been for his wife getting there to give his factor, he would have died because he was having a brain bleed. A slow one, so she had time to get there. But um, that was really what made us aware of the entire issue and that something had to be done. Well, I mean, I just, the first time I heard that story from you, I was so floored because there's, you know, parents especially are going so far out of their way to make sure that their kids are going to be safe. They're doing the medical alert bracelets and the seatbelt covers and the things on the car seats and the notes. So to think that that's not going to ensure that their children are getting the, the treatment they need in an emergency is, I mean, it's just horrible. And, and I don't think that many people are aware of that. You're correct. Um, even your our anniversary, our five-year anniversary is in March, so next month. Ooh, oh, congrats. Yeah, and still, we still meet so many families that just think, oh, I'll call 911. Um, in defense of our emergency personnel, mm-hmm. um, a paramedic cannot really do any single task without authorization from a medical advisor, from a doctor. And so standing protocols are things that have already been reviewed, already been authorized. And so, of course, we're a rare disease. We are outside of the box. We don't fit in standing protocols. And, of course, those medications are not on an ambulance, so they're not part of standing protocols. So that's where the issue comes in. And that's why a medical alert bracelet is an alert. It's an FYI, but it's not authorization from a medical professional for an action to happen. That kind of clarifies a little bit and I think maybe helps families understand um, they want they want to do it, but their, their hands are actually tied by regulations and liability limitations. So what would your advice be to these parents? So um, one of the things that we've learned um, is for them to be able to deviate from the existing standards or protocols the very most important thing that every parent has to do is get emergency medical orders from their specialist. It must be on letterhead. It must be signed, dated, and updated annually. It should include their emergency contact number for day and night, and then um, very short, to-the-point, precise actions of plan A. What is the best treatment that should happen in an emergency? B, if A is not an option, what is B? If A and B aren't an option, what what is C? Mm-hmm. If if there is a C, C might be get them in a helicopter and get them to a level one trauma center as fast as possible. But at least we would know, and they would know. Um, I'll give you an example of what was given to me. We care. We always carry the kids' clotting factor. If we were in an automobile accident that was so severe that their bag of medicine got smashed, 
So their medication vial was actually smashed. What would paramedics do? So if, if the only thing those treatment orders said was administer clotting factor intravenously and the clotting factor is broken. Completely, and, yeah. Right. Completely so um, it was on a phone call with the National EMS, um, some, of the, the pers- some of the people on the national level, and um, they said, Darlene, that's why plan B is so important. And they said, because unfortunately, we don't get plan A very often. Oh. And so it helped me be able to change our guidelines that we have that we give to parents to take to their doctors to be able to, to get better emergency orders. Um, so, yeah, plan A, perfect scenario. Plan B, not as perfect a scenario. And plan C, the oh, crap scenario. Um. <laughs> it almost, like, what, I'm, what I keep thinking of is it almost reminds me of when I've talked to friends who work in programming, like computer programming, and you have to be extremely explicit, and you have to be extremely explicit with all possible options, almost like explain this to an alien who has no context. Yes. <laughs> because it's yes. like, it's not that the paramedics don't have context, but, like, you, they also rare. have rules, and so, like, you, yeah, and, I mean, the, yeah, the diseases are bare, the paramedics have like certain restrictions on what they're allowed to do. And so it's sort of like, imagine this is an alien from another planet. It's not, but like kind of have to give directions as if it is. Right, right. <laughs> and um, there's just some interesting things we've learned. In most states, um, paramedics are not allowed to go through purses or wallets. Wow. So another no very important thing is, so once you get those medical orders, then you have to keep them in a clearly marked location in the automobile. One of the reasons that our headrest covers actually work so well because they have the pocket that holds the medical information. So it's bright yellow. It goes on the headrest with the drawstring, has the pocket that says emergency medical information. So, um, you know, takes out any question of where do we get these orders? And, of course, you put it only on the seat of the person that is affected or the number of people. So in our van, there's three. Um, <laughs> and, um, but it, it gives them clarification, and it's, it's clearly visible. Another thing, you know, as a parent especially, if you talk about an automobile accident, you might be knocked unconscious or be able to speak. <laughs> Um, you might not be able to tell them. And, of course, even if the kids were still alert, they might be too scared. Mm-hmm. So you just take out all the ifs. Just try to take, always try to take out the ifs. Mm-hmm. Like for us and for those that are carrying life-saving meds, have them in a bag with emergency alert symbol so they know, oh, that's not just a backpack with coloring books in it. This is, Clearly, this must be the backpack with medication because see the emergency alert symbol mm-hmm. on it. And, um, I mean, we don't sell them from our website, but you can actually order patches that you can hook on stuff and keep it very clear. Um, Could you talk a little bit as well um, about how this uh, protocol issue is not just relevant to people with hemophilia or clotting issues or even people who, not just people who require special medication either. Um, You gave an example earlier about people with cystic fibrosis and other types of conditions. Yes, there's actually 15 conditions that we know of so far, based on our research, for people that do carry life-saving medications. Uh, Urea cycle disorder is one of those, pulmonary hypertension, um, a condition, the acronym's MCADD, it's a, their bodies can't break down sugar, so it's not diabetes, 
it's actually they can't break down sugar. It's it's very interesting. Um, of course, adrenaline sufficiency. Um, if you're listening to this and you know you carry life-saving meds, you know who you are. Um, and then there's, um, that we know of, about 16 more that um, it's the procedure that needs to happen. For instance, um, cystic fibrosis. So because their lungs are so compromised by the cystic fibrosis, what they normally would set the oxygen level for, say, a nine-year-old little girl that weighs 80 pounds, um, they couldn't set it at the same level for a nine-year-old little girl that weighed 80 pounds with cystic fibrosis. Mm. And they also can't administer, um, like, morphine um, or some of the, the narcotic-type pain medications because they decrease your breathing. And, of course, with cystic fibrosis, you can't have that. So it actually, um, from what has been shared with me, you actually could cause death. You could actually, as it was said to me, blow their lung um, or... Um, cause harm, you know, and, and cause their breathing to continue to decrease. And of course, in an emergency alone, when they're scared or anxious or whatever, that's that's very hard on them anyway. There's some conditions that um, they can't process saline. So you have to have the D10 IV fluid, very important. Um, very likely, they would be able to just, you know, grab D10 if they had it on the ambulance. Um, we're trying to raise awareness to that because most ambulances don't carry D10 mm-hmm. and um, really not an extra expense, just something that, again, nobody's thought about. Wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it does make me proud that we have been able to, um, in our endeavors, meet families with these variety of diseases, learn about their conditions and what's needed for them in an emergency, and be able to start passing that on to EMS to help educate them. So um, we've passed legislation in Missouri, Minnesota, and just most recently the EMS Commission in Louisiana voted to change their state scope of practice. So that's being worked on. We won't have to have a bill there. Um, And we are days away from a federal EMS bill that Senator Cassidy is the lead on. And um, that is super exciting. Yes, that's super exciting. (laughs) Oh, goodness, very large-scale operation. (laughs) (laughs) Can you give any insight on sort of like people who are maybe working on different bills, sort of like what tactics helps move it along? Because it seems like it's like in a really great place where a lot of change is happening. Um, And there's a lot of change for, like, all sorts of people with rare diseases that needs to happen. My first answer is sheer tenacity. (laughs) Like, you just can't stop. Mm -hmm. And think outside of the box and think from the other person's point of view. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. I had to step back and listen, which is such a concept in this day and time. (laughs) I had to listen to the why on why they couldn't. Mm-hmm. and what are their fears and mm-hmm. what they feel what they feel are their limitations and take every hurdle and you go home and you analyze it to death and you figure out a solution for every hurdle that gets handed to you and i really believe that you can i mean mm-hmm. i honestly believe that you you try your best to make friends with the right people figure out who you need in the room so clearly we needed EMS people that were veterans, that had been around, that were kind, caring people that really wanted to do the right thing. And I needed to be 
across the table from them and ask them questions and win their hearts over. And um, remember that, and I really truly believe, and I treat everybody this way, that people are good at their core and they want to do right. And when you walk in the door and you treat people that way and you set your expectations high, most people will rise to their expectations. But be ready for a lot of hard work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I bet. Um, also, can you tell us a little bit about um, your grandchildren and Danny? Um, Danny Noah is um, basically your average nine-year-old. Um, very intelligent, loves soccer, loves to play video games when he's allowed, and um, go to the movie, and loves Legos, and anything um, science, everything science, and um, really great brother to his big sisters, and handles his, his hemophilia well. Um, our family decided when he was diagnosed that we would make sure that he owned his hemophilia, not the other way around. So we've tried very hard to do that. Lily, um, she's technically mild, um, but we, we kind of refer to it more as moderate because her levels are at 30%. Not enough to save her life if she got hurt bad. And so she has an emergency dose, and she knows that, and she'll tell you she has hemophilia. And if she ever gets hurt bad, she has to have factor like her brother. And she loves dance. She is our dance girl. Um, tap, ballet, um, tumbling, you name it. Kind of um, the boss, kind of the bossy sister, because she's the first girl. And um, reminds her brother always if they get ready to leave and he doesn't grab his factor bag. Uh, kind of along the lines of, Danny, you forgot your factor bag. <laughs> and um, that's, that's kind of Lily. She's a big love bug and um, also, also does very well in school, very smart, and probably to her daddy's dismay, um, a little too smart. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite subject? She loves art, actually, um, and all of the kids love math, and she also loves dance, loves playing with their little sister Zoe, and they love, it's so funny, they love small little animals, like, um, you know, calico critters or whatever, um, all the little small little animals and having a purse and putting them in there, and they love to cook with their mom, and um, just everybody's very, very busy. And um, she's just a cheerful little soul and always always has a smile and just a sweetheart. And Zoe, of course, is coming into her uh, personality. She's three and um, a little more shy and um, very much a mama's girl. And she'll even say, sometimes in a crowd, she'll say, those people are too loud. <laughs> I feel that. So, I get it. Um, we kind of don't know what Zoe's going to end up kind of doing or being. She may come out of that and just be like, you know, the life of the party. Um, so it's very interesting to have all four. And, of course, they love each other and they play together and then they all fight and then they play together again. They're, we're very much the average family. Um, one thing I think that I'll share with the families out there, especially newly diagnosed, um, you have to make it a family affair. When we first got that diagnosis, we at least were smart enough to go talk to other families. And we talked to siblings who were the unaffected siblings. And we talked to um, those that were the affected 
part of the family. And um, we had so many siblings tell us that they felt left out because it was always about, you know, um, boys tend to be more severe. So my brother was always having to go to the hospital and I was always worried about him. And they felt like their brother was always getting attention. But then sometimes um, the boys who were always the ones that they did have the bleed and they had to miss out playing outside or a lot of them were like, we hated that during factor time, everybody else got to watch TV and we didn't because we had to go get our factor. So, um, you know, in our house, when it's factor time for Danny Noah, if the TV's on, it goes off. Everybody has a job from everybody washes their hands. Somebody has the job of cleaning the table, getting the supplies out of the closet. Um, Zoe's job is picking the Band-Aid that she takes very seriously. (laughs) And um, everybody plays a role. It's done. Everybody helps clean up. And then... You're going about your evening. Oh, oh, that's great. And so that nobody's left out, and nobody has more attention than the other one. And um, so far, it's working well, really, really well. The girls are supportive of their brother, and their brother is very supportive, you know, of his sisters. He'll even say, you know, thank you for helping me get my back. And um, so it's, they're very sweet. They're very sweet. Um, I think that's wonderful advice. I guess, is there any other advice, one, that you have for families who are kind of new to this? And two, how would people get involved with Danny's Dose and helping you advocate for for change for this podcast? So the way that families can help to um, provide protections for themselves and others is um, go to our website, www.dannystose.com. And you, my contact information is on there, and I really do answer my cell phone. Um, send me an email and say, hey, Darlene, I'm from Give Me Your State, and add your condition, because we're trying to keep, um, keep up with all the conditions that we represent. If um, there's special treatment that needs to happen um, for those in your family with your condition, in an emergency, please tell me about it because I might not have you on my list. Um, If I do have you on the list, I can actually then reply back and help you know a little bit more about what you should do to make sure you're protected and give you even more details than I than I briefly went over in this podcast. Um, And then we also have information on how to um, be part of the initiative in your state. Although we're getting ready any day to have federal legislation, we aren't stopping on the state level because we don't know which one will be first. Mm-hmm. Um, Arkansas and Illinois, we're working on right now. I'm not sure exactly how that's going to pan out, but we've started the conversation with the right people. Um, as soon as I get enough interested individuals in a state, we launch the initiative in your state. Um, I mean, honestly, four, five, six families that are ready to be active and start making phone calls and start doing a few visits, we can get changes made in your state. You'd be amazed at what just those, that few families uh, with a little direction, with the experience that we have, how much change they can really make. And that's really what we did in Minnesota. We really had six butt kicker families that were just my right hands. And I made a few visits to Minnesota, but I wasn't there all the time. And we were able to pass legislation there in 2019. And really just a few families in Louisiana So um, I'm really seeing it doesn't take 20, 30, 40, honestly, a couple of families that um, 
give us the ability to get our foot in the door and get ourselves heard because you live there, you're a constituent, you live in their backyard, and for the EMS service in your state, you're one of the families that they service. It opens the door. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. Yeah. We really appreciate you being on oh, our podcast. Oh, I appreciate that you're doing it because, I mean, we need all the awareness we can get. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's really nice to see, like, like, this, like, problem in action, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah, and then it was a, a problem that was, you know, personal to you with your grandson. And then you didn't just stop at directly how um, he was going to be affected, you know, in, in his state or in his disease state, but you were expanding um, to help just the entire community. everyone. I can't remember if I said the numbers, but overall across the United States, this legislation will help protect over 27.7 million affected individuals. And that doesn't include their families and their loved ones. And I mean, it it shocks us. We had no idea that it was going to be this big. And, um, you know, we're just we're just excited for a year from now and two years from now and three years from now as we continue to see success. Like we're really excited about um, the day five years from now, even when this whole conversation is different and we're talking about education and protocols that are nationally recognized and how many families are saved. And I don't even know what else we'll be talking about five years from now. Mm-hmm. Look forward to hearing about it. Maybe on our podcast. We'll do it. <laughs> 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 Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Thank you.